You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Um, and we want to welcome you guys here, and we want to welcome you guys that uh, might be watching at home. Actually, no one's watching at home right now, so I don't even know why I said that. They're watching the first service if they're watching right now. So it's just us. We can do whatever we want. It's going to be crazy this morning. Uh, all right, if you have a Bible, it's not going to be crazy this morning. Um, well, it might be in light of how the Lord might use his spirit through his word to work in your life. And it might not be crazy, but it's going to be good. And um, so that's always the case. Um, so, man, let's just pray and ask God to um, help us right now by his spirit to align our hearts to his word and what he might have for us today. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people And we thank you so much for um, the fact that we can sing together on a cold day and that uh, you've sustained us. And uh, Lord, we're here and the weather only goes this far and no farther. It does your bidding. And um, we thank you that Hebrews 1 is true, that you sustain us and uphold us with your word of power. And so, Lord, we know that the elements um, are not sovereign, but you are sovereign. And uh, we thank you for that. And we thank you that you love us and that our sovereign God is our heavenly Father. And so um, may we deeply embrace the transcendence and the closeness of you this morning and the mystery that that is, the paradox that that is. Um, And so we ask for you to come near to us through your word this morning. Because we view it as a gift, and you've given it as a gift so that we can know you, um, and we can know ourselves. And so help us this morning, Lord, by the power of the resurrected Christ, amen. Amen. So there's a principle in our lives that's mostly, almost always true. Um, It's just the way the world works. It's the way that God designed the world. Something that as parents, we teach our kids, and we're trying to do that in increasing measure. And it's just super simple. It's just this. Hard work pays off. Hard work pays off. Yep. And uh, so you can think about this in any number of domains in life, right? Uh, Many of you who are adults and have jobs, you see this. If you work hard, oftentimes there's results. If you're lazy, there's not going to be as good of results. You might get fired, right? Any number of things. Well, the Bible speaks to this, right? The Bible says hard work is a good thing. Look at Proverbs 13. A lot of these come out of the Proverbs, just the way of wisdom. The the book of Proverbs is God's gift to teach us how to be wise. And here's the way of wisdom according to Proverbs. And when it comes to hard work, Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Hard work pays off. Proverbs 14, 23, 
in all toil there is profit. So you work hard, there's probably going to be profit. But mere talk, if you're all talk and no walk, what does that lead to? It leads to poverty. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule while the slothful, I love that word, slothful. It's awesome. Like the word sluggard in the Bible, great word. Uh, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. That's kind of dire. Proverbs twelve eleven. whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. There's a word, works. If you work hard on your land, you're going to be provided for. Bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. So it's just a biblical principle. It's a life principle. It's the way that God set up the world. We watched a um, documentary this week, and we have a Friday night tradition, pizza movie night is almost every Friday night in our home. And so we watched this documentary about mountain climbing uh, called The Dawn Wall. Has anybody seen The Dawn Wall? You guys saw it? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's kind of like Free Solo. Have you guys seen Free Solo, the guy that did the El Capitan with no ropes? Um, It's similar to that. I'd recommend it's on Netflix. It's an amazing story. Um, It's not without ropes, it's with ropes, but the, the thing is with this is they scoped out a path on El Capitan in, um, in uh, Yosemite, yep, Yosemite National Park that no one had ever achieved before. Like it's this crazy difficult section of the rock that's got all these just like, it feels like sheer faces with like literally millimeters to grab onto, and they just wanted to do it. And so they spent literally years working and working, trying to find a path, like doing intensive research with their bodies and fingertips and toes on this wall to be like, well, I think we should go here. No, that's not going to work. Let's try this way. Okay, that might work. And then they get up, you know, 500 feet. Oh, man, I don't know where we're going to go. So they map out this whole thing literally year after year after year uh, to, to try to get you know, from the ground up 3,000 feet on this wall of Yosemite National Park. And, you know, spoiler alert, like, they make it. It would be a horrible documentary if they just failed and the movie was over, right? But it's a great story. It's more than just the journey. It's their lives and how it all fits together. It's very well done. Um, But, again, it was just a great principle to see on screen hard work pays off. They did it. It was hard. It was so hard. They didn't give up, and they got the reward. They stood at the top of Yosemite and just like, oh, man, we did it. So you can apply this in your life so many ways. But here's the problem. If you try to apply the principle hard work pays off to your spiritual life in terms of how you relate to God, in terms of his standing, I'm sorry, I'm sorry in terms of your standing in relation to him, it's the opposite of blessing. It's the opposite of hard work paying off. If you relate to God that way, your hard work for God to achieve your salvation will lead to cursing. The opposite of blessing, right? You fall under the curse of trying to achieve your salvation as opposed to what? Simply receiving it as a gift. 
The principle of hard work equals rewards is great in your daily life. It's great in your job. It's great in your exercise. It's great in, you know, shoveling your snow, right? Horrible when it comes to your relationship with God. If I just work hard enough for God, then he'll receive me with blessings. That's not what the Bible teaches. See Jesus, the most perfect man ever. And in the short term, what did he get? A cross. A cross. See, if I want to work for God, then what does that mean? It means I don't need grace. I just need more effort. I just need to follow some good advice. I just need to read the instruction manual, do what it says, and then I'm good. That's the opposite of Christianity. Sadly, a lot of our teaches, or a lot of our churches teach that, and a majority of the world thinks that's what Christianity boils down to. Just be a good person, you're good. God will accept you. But here's the bad news. Like, we, we grossly underestimate the problem that we have, right? See, we have to embrace the bad news before we get to the good news. So the bad news is we have a sin problem that can't just be eradicated by hard work, right? Let's say, let's just put this into our lives in real tangible ways. I'll just give you one for myself. Patience. I want to grow in patience. I know that one of my problems is impatience. So that's a sin against God. I can sin against others, and in my, when I sin against others in impatience, I sin against God, because he's perfectly holy. And so if you want to work for God in terms of eradicating impatience out of your life, and like, God, I'm just going to do it, I got it, and then you're going to receive me because I'm going to get myself together, like, give it a shot. Give it a shot. How's that going to work out for you? Right? Like, if I just sit here and tell myself, man, I'm just going to be patient, and I'm going to start today, and I'm going to be perfect. Anybody want to try that? See, God's holy. And you wouldn't want to worship a God that just swept sin under the rug and said, ah, that's no big deal. Like, that's not, that's not holiness. That's not the God that you want to worship. So just stop being impatient. Be perfect in that realm. Work hard. Give it a shot. How's that, how's that working out for us? See, sin is not like a small problem that we just need to follow the manual and then we'll be all right. Like if you have a bad back, you go to the physical therapist, you go to the chiropractor, and they give you a regime to follow. Do A, B, C, and D and do that for the next 60 days. You follow the, you follow the script, and you're probably going to be good. Your back will be better. That's a horrible analogy for the bad news of Christianity. It's more like this. We've been diagnosed with cancer. You don't go to the doctor when you have cancer and just say, man, tell me what to do, and I'll take care of the cancer. Just, I'll just follow the steps. I'll work as hard as I can, and then we'll get rid of the cancer, right? No. That's not how cancer works. You have a disease it doesn't matter how hard you work. You need a cure. And when the doctor says, hey, guess what? We've just discovered a cure for your cancer. What do you do? Do you say, man, I want to earn that? 
No, you just simply receive it and say, praise God for medical technology. You don't earn that. You just take it. So here's, the, here's one of the big points for today is if you're all about working for God, then you'll have no room or tolerance for the grace of God, especially for other people. Let me say that again. If you are all about working for God in the sense of earning your salvation, clean myself up, then God will accept me. That's how you view Christianity. This is how we relate to God or if we're tempted to relate to God that way. You'll have no room or tolerance for the grace of God, especially when you see that grace being showered on other people. In fact, if we have this mindset that we can work hard enough for God and then he'll give me what he owes me, when you see this grace of God, it'll seem like a scandal. It might even feel immoral. Like, grace is not fair. Like, wouldn't we say that? To those who don't pursue fairness, we would say, that's immoral. But can we say that about God? Would we dare say that about God? Like, we want to be very, 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 very careful before we charge God with immorality. So this is a very important issue for our discipleship. That's a long intro to get us into our text that's going to teach us about these things this morning. Okay? So, Matthew chapter 20, let's take a look at this and see how Jesus wants to, he's going to push our buttons a little bit today, but it's for our blessing. And if we allow him to, man, I really think it's going to bless us today. Here's a key question I want us to be thinking about. We're going to come back to it over over and over again. Do you know how the grace of God works and are you okay with it? Do you know how the grace of God works and are you okay with it? Okay, so look at chapter 20. Now, your Bible was not written originally with verses, chapter headings, chapter numbers, okay? That's important because there's a structure here that we'd be tempted to miss. Look at 19, verse 30. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And you scroll all the way down to 20, verse 16, what do you have? Again, same verse. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Our text for today in chapter 20 is bracketed with two bookends. Okay? It doesn't show up because there's a chapter break here, but that chapter break didn't originally exist. This is Matthew signaling us, check out the structure. There's a point here. The last will be first, the first will be last. He says it in 1930, he says it again in 2016. That's important. He's, he's showing us, he's giving us a clue as to what this parable is all about. Okay? So just want us to be prepped for that. What this means is, this is Jesus speak for, sometimes I do things that you don't expect. Sometimes I do the opposite of what the world does. Sometimes I take the values of the world and I turn them on their head. That's what Jesus is going to show us here today, okay? So let's be prepped for that. Here, again, here's the big point. 
Do we understand how the grace of God works, and are we okay with that? All right? He wants to ask his audience then and us now that question. Let's read this parable together. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master. Okay, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, synonymous. Jesus is just saying, in the place where I dwell, where I rule and reign, that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to be a citizen in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, this is what you're you're signing up for. This is what it looks like. So he's just painting a picture for him, okay? The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he, so a denarius in, in their time was a, a day's wage, okay? A denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. Verse 5, so they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity. So the last will be first and the first last. All right, let's just quick review, get this picture in our head. Landowner, vineyard owner, needs workers to, to tend to his vineyard, goes out, guys, gals, need a job, hires them. Were you guys willing to work for this amount? Yep. All right, let's go. Does the same thing three hours later, same thing three hours later, same thing three hours later until the last hour of the workday. He still wants some more people to maximize the potential of his land, and he gets some more guys or gals to come work his vineyard for just an hour. And then it's paying time, and they get all lined up, and they all get paid the same. So Jesus sets up the scene. That's just the facts of the story. And what Jesus wants us to focus on is the reaction. The reaction to the facts of the story. Like This is where the parable gets really dicey. This is where it confronts our hearts. This is where it steps on our toes a little bit. Let's look at the reaction. Look at it again in verse 10. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, 
These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So this ticks off the guys that, or the gals that work 12 hours, right? And imaginatively place yourself in the scene, okay? Y'all ever done any like horrible manual labor? Concrete, roofing. In Iowa, where I'm from, we have this hell in a cornfield called detasseling. I mean, it's hard manual labor the end of July. It's 98 and humid. So you're standing in that line waiting to get paid and seeing everyone before you get paid the same as you agreed to. Like, imagine that. The money's coming out. You're seeing this thing and like, what is going on here? What would your first impulse be? I know mine would be that three word phrase that every three-year-old knows that you don't even have to teach them, that's not fair, right? We have an implicit, intuitive sense of justice that's getting poked at right now, right? Like, what the heck? How come they get paid the same as me? 12 hours, one hours, hello? I think this is one of the things that Jesus really wants us to consider. Why do we say immediately? Why is that our knee-jerk reaction to want to impose our sense of fairness and justice on the landowner? It's a good question. What does that say about us? What does that say about our, our hearts? Like, do you understand the grace of God? And are you okay with it? Jesus wants to ask his audience then, audience now, look at verse 15. This, the rhetorical questions in the Bible are awesome. This is a great rhetorical question. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Like, who is sovereign? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Another a synonym for begrudge is resent. Do you resent my generosity. The landowner's just saying, do I, not have the, do I not have the right to be gracious if I want to be gracious? Do you really want to relate to me on the basis of just simple work reward? Or would you rather, how much better is it to be employed by someone who you see at times, out of the blue, unexpected, just shows unbelievable grace? Which landowner is better? Like, again, imaginatively place yourself in the text. If you're the one that only worked an hour and he's dishing out the money and you get paid way beyond what you expected, and you'd be blown away by grace, right? See, doesn't this expose the fact that I love Grace when I get it, but if I see other people get it, what happens? Jealousy, envy, that's not fair. See, Jesus wants to ask us this this morning. Like, has the grace of God really landed in our hearts? Another angle on this might be this. 
Like, why, why would we dare say that Jesus doesn't have the right to be gracious? Right? Let me give you an illustration from my life. Many years ago, this is, this is probably 15, 16, 17 years ago, um, things were not going well in my sister's marriage. And I had talked to her about it. I talked to her husband at the time about it. And my sister was basically just coming to me saying that they're probably going to get a divorce. And I was really disturbed by that. Um, They didn't have biblical grounds for divorce. I tried my best to persuade her not to and and him as well not to. Um, You know, divorce is horrible. It's like a death in the family. I I love my former brother-in-law. He's a great guy. And I just don't see him anymore. You know, it's really hard. So I was very displeased with the decision that she had made. And I just look back at that time and I recognize this was my mindset. My mindset was, okay, well, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be disobedient, then disobedience always brings a certain type of reward. Disobedience brings a certain type of reward. And it's not comfortable. And if you're, you know, you reap what you sow, that's what the Bible says. And so I recognize in my heart that I just wanted some good old-fashioned biblical justice for her. I wanted to see her reap what she sowed. I wanted the Lord to just kind of teach her a lesson, Right? Well, things didn't really end up as I suspected or wanted, as I look back. It's really, if I'm honest, that's, those are the things I wanted. Like, why was it that my prayer wasn't, God, would you just show her grace? My prayer was, God, give her what she deserves. Teach her a lesson. And it turns out that God didn't do what I thought he might. Like there is, we're not dismissing anything in terms of somebody's sin. And sometimes people just straight up reap what they sow, period. But who does that and what happens and why and when God's going to bring justice or not or show mercy or not or whatever, that's not mine to sort out. That's his to sort out. And that's not the point. The point is why was my heart so bent on wanting justice and not mercy for her? And I see God confronting me in this passage. Like saying something like, like you wanted justice, but it seems I've shown grace here. Her, her husband's a great guy. I love him. They have a good marriage. I mean, everybody has problems in their marriage. It's not perfect. No one's is. But things didn't go like I thought they would or as I predicted. Now, we ne- listen, we never presume the grace of God. Romans 6.1 says this, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And Paul says in the strongest terms, never, right? But if somebody sins grievously and things don't exactly fall out in the, in the way that we think they will, 
and God doesn't make someone reap what they've sown immediately or, or whatever, and the timetable doesn't fit how my brain wants to figure it, all that out, that's the Lord's prerogative, right? But what they're doing isn't the point. It's my heart that Jesus wants, to, wants us to look at this morning. Like God coming to me and saying, you wanted justice for your sister, but it seems like I've shown her grace. Are you okay with that? Don't I have a right to show mercy when I want to and not dish out just straight up disobedience equals very uncomfortable scenario? Do I have a right to do that if I choose? God's asking me. Like, do you want to try to sort out the mystery of justice and mercy and who gets what and when and why and how? And at that point, you feel kind of like Job when God was asking him questions and you just kind of put your hand on your mouth and like back away slowly because this conversation's getting really uncomfortable. No, I don't want to do that, God. I'm, I'm going to stop right now. Let's look back at the text. It's just great rhetorical questions. Verse 13. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge or resent my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Do you understand how the grace of God works, and are you okay with it? So let's, again, let's play out some more scenarios to see if, if, if this can kind of land in our neighborhood with a little more power. And I'll, I'll just give you one that might be close to home for some of you. A lot of, I wouldn't say a lot because I don't even know that for a fact. I know some people have a deep sense of loathing for our former president, President Trump, right? And it might not be Trump. Let's say it's somebody else. Let's say it's Nancy Pelosi. Let's say it's Barack Obama. But let's just Whatever, I know that's the case for many of us in our nation right now, some of us in our church. Um, I'm not really interested in slicing and dicing politics this morning. I just want to name the fact. A lot of us have a deep loathing for President Trump. And I think it's okay to be grieved by a lot of the things that he said and done. Be careful, because as you're assessing someone else's sin, it's very easy to get really prideful like, how come that dude's such an idiot? Man, I'm awesome. Like, just be careful as we assess. We have to assess. We just be very, very careful that we don't get really prideful in the assessment. I'm, I'm first in line for that one. But here's where Jesus wants to challenge us today. Let's say, just imagine this, President Trump gets converted and he goes on national TV and he confesses sins. And he asks for forgiveness from others as he's asked for forgiveness from the Lord. And he bears fruit in keeping with repentance. As John the Baptist said, there's a changed life. So 
here's where this parable applies to that situation. How would you respond? Would it be rejoicing? Or would it be, God, can't you just give him like two weeks of really uncomfortable consequences and then show him grace? Or would it be, praise God for his grace that he saves anybody, myself included? Or would we want to manage the scales of like, well, this guy's such a deep sinner. He needs to not get as much grace as me. And when I needed it, when I became a Christian, and as I'm continuing to walk as a Christian, maybe it's not Trump. Maybe it's not a politician. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a family member who, who's hurt you deeply. And again, we're not, we're not dismissing anybody's sin against anybody else. But God is asking us this morning to focus on how do we respond when we see someone who you don't think deserves mercy get it. That's the question. Who's that person if, if they receive mercy from God, namely salvation, not based on any merit of their own, just as a gift of God, would kind of bother you? There's a, there's a poignant Old Testament example of this. Anybody know what it is? It's Jonah. Jonah, man, a lot of you have heard the story of Jonah because it's Jonah gets swallowed by the whale, spit out on the beach. That's not really the point of the story. The point of the story is basically this parable, Old Testament times. Let me remind you, Jonah was called to preach to the Ninevites. Now, we have to know who the Ninevites were. They were historically a wicked, savage, violent, brutal people. And God comes to Jonah and says, hey, Jonah, you're my guy. I want you to go preach repentance to the Ninevites. And Jonah's like, forget that. They need justice, not repentance. It's like, I'm not doing that. If, if you want to send me on a mission to obliterate them and be the hand of your wrath, I'll sign up for that, but I'm not going to preach repentance. And so he says, I'm out of here. You guys know what happens. The whale comes, spits him on the beach. He has a change of heart, sort of. And he goes, and the grumpiest, worst evangelist ever shows up in Nineveh, preaches, hey, y'all need to repent or God's wrath is going to fall on you soon. What happens? Ninevites, they repent. They all get saved. And then what does Jonah do? He goes and has a pity party. He sits under his little tree, his little plant, and he says, it's this, one of the funniest lines in the Bible, but it's not funny, is like he's, he says to God, and this is my paraphrase, God, I knew you were going to be gracious, those Ninevites. Gosh, why, why did you have to do that? And it's just the same as this parable. He wanted mercy for himself, not for anybody else. I deserve mercy. They don't. I'm first in line to receive mercy. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Not them. God, did you really have to save those people? Why can't you just give them what they deserve? That's not the Christian heart. I think God is calling us to love the radical nature of his grace. Another fancy way to say it would be unmerited favor. You only worked an hour. You don't deserve any of that generosity, but you still got it. 
How awesome is that? See, you'll only rejoice as you see other people receiving mercy if you really deep down know that you've been a recipient as well. But if we start creeping into that works mentality that we started the sermon with, the grace of God will just slowly, over time, just get eroded away at. And, and it will become, it'll seem unfair, it'll seem incomprehensible. Like, God, you, man, are, are you really, I mean, justice, come on. That's not Christianity. So I just, today, I want us just to walk out of here rejoicing. Our God really is this gracious and generous. He's willing to be free with his money if you can endure the analogy, right? Like none of us deserve to get paid what we get paid. That's Christianity. You didn't earn jack. It's all a gift to be received. You've been given that cure for cancer. You didn't pay for it. It's just given and you received it. And it is, as a fact, healed, done, in remission, never to come back, death sentence no longer. Grace is the point. I just want us to end with God's grace, just to kind of land on us through God's word, and then, and then we'll be done. But this kind of just puts everything in perspective so that our hearts can be changed to just rejoice in the grace of God wherever we see it because we've been so touched by it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead. It doesn't say you were struggling. It doesn't say you were just like hobbling around, crippled. No, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. It's a death sentence, right? In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature. See, he's not talking about deeds here, like we just happen to do some bad deeds. It's like your very nature. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Man, that's a horrible pronouncement. Like, that's some bad news. That's who you used to be. If you're in Christ today, this is who you used to be. And then the good news comes crashing in. But God, being rich, generous, we could say, in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, who did all the work? Who did all the generosity? Made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. It's not about hours worked. It's not about punching the time clock. It's all of grace. And he raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How's that for honor? How's that for unmerited favor? Why? Well, here's why. So that in the coming ages, eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. 
So there's no boasting. There's no pride, right? There's no comparison. He got paid this, he got paid this, he got paid this. No, it's just like, it's all grace. I'll just, I'll take it. And I'll be happy whenever I see it. That's amazing news. This is amazing news. This is the gospel. So do we understand the grace of God, how it works, and are we okay with it? 